have been looking at the life and times of Samuel. And we, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 4 and picked out a few little lessons from it. But we saw how the, the Israelites had strayed away from God again. And they had brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp. And they had fought against the Philistines and been defeated and the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. But they had had a war just prior to that and they had gone to a place called Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. That's what the meaning of Ebenezer was. And they had forgotten how good God had been to them over the years. They had forgotten that God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will not I give to another, neither my praise to graven images. The Philistines worshipped the god Dagon. Dagon. And they had a temple to him. Idol worshippers. And when the Israelites decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the camp as a kind, we said it, they brought it in as really uh, as a kind of charm. They thought that by bringing the, the ark into the, the camp, it would automatically make God do what they wanted him to do. But they had broken all the rules in bringing the ark into the camp. And there was a great shout went up. They had a great shout of triumph when the ark did come into the, the camp. But it was a false echo, wasn't it? But you know, the, the Philistines, they were afraid. They were, they'd never heard anything like, like this before. And they realized that the God of the Hebrews had come into the camp. That's what they thought. It said in 1 Samuel 4, The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. This is something new, bringing the Ark of the Covenant. And they decided they had to fight for their lives and they fought and defeated the Israelites and captured the Ark of the Covenant. Disaster. But I was thinking about this and also last week we, we looked at Psalm 43 where David had gone into exile when Absalom, his son, rose up in rebellion against him. And Psalm 42 and 43 are very similar in endings. Verse 5 it said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. And I was thinking about this again this week. And in Romans 15 and verse 13, Paul talks about the God of hope. The God of hope. Romans 15 and verse 13. Now the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That ye may abound in hope. And we know that Christian hope. Isn't just a vague hope. That I hope it's a good day tomorrow. It's something much more definite. We're hoping in something. About which we are sure. We have the hope of the coming of the Lord. It's not something that we 
he might come or he may come. He is coming. But we look forward to that in hope. That's the, the thought behind Christian hope. That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And all this tied in with another article I read on the divine names of God. Who is the God? Who was this God of the Hebrews that the Philistines were afraid of? In Genesis 1.1 we say, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God, the very first person, the very first thing we're given and presented with in Scripture is God. God, the, the creator God. God who created the heavens and the earth. To sinful man, God is holy, unapproachable, awesome, incomprehensible. Man cannot understand God. To the redeemed, you and me, God is a heavenly father. God is our savior. God is our Lord. So there are two distinct people in, peoples in the world. There are those to whom God is awesome. A God of judgment. And there are those whom God is a heavenly father. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. To Israel, he was Lord, Jehovah. The one who said that he would be a husband to Israel. The one who had this covenant relationship with Israel. The Lord. In many translations of the Bible you'll find that when, when, when Jehovah is mentioned, they, they, it's done in capital letters, L-O-R-D. As distinct from, from God. And if you look, you see in Genesis 1, it's God who created the heavens and the earth. The, the almighty creator God. Elohim. It's a great disadvantage not knowing Hebrew when we study the scriptures. But we have to go by other people who have studied Hebrew. And they can tell us an awful lot about it. If you look to Genesis 7 and verse 16, you'll see the difference between the, the two God and the Lord. Man had sinned. The heart of man was sinful and desperately wicked. And God looked down and he could only see one man and his family who were righteous. Righteous Noah. God told him to make the ark. And get all the animals into the ark. And in verse 15 it says, And Noah went into the ark, that all the animals went in unto Noah, two by two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in, male and female, of all flesh, as God had commanded, and the Lord shut him in. God, the God of judgment, had commanded that all these animals, and Noah and his family, were to flee from God's judgment. But it was the Lord, Jehovah, who shut him in. Because of his care and his love, for Noah, who was a righteous man. God commanded them to go in, but it was Jehovah who shut the door. 
to keep them safe in there. It's just that different relationship that they have. There was another example that I saw there in 1 Samuel. Go again over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we all know the story so well. It's the story of Goliath. We know that he challenged this pagan idol worshipper was challenging the God of Israel. We saw how David put on the armor of, of Saul and it didn't work and then he went out just in the name of the Lord. And he challenged the Philistine. He says, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I am come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. And then he says he was going to give him his, uh, his body as a carcass to the wild animals. But then look at 47. He says, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you in, into our hands. Go back to the end of 46. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, but all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth. That's the subtle difference. The earth was going to know that there was a God, a God of judgment who was going to judge the Philistines. This God, the earth is going to know about this God. But Israel, those within the assembly, all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. He was going to be to Israel their saviour. He was going to deliver them from the Philistines. But the Philistines were going to know that there was a God of judgment. And that's the difference. The world out there, God is a God of judgment. The wrath of God abides on those who are unsaved. But to us who are saved, He is our Savior, He is our Lord, He is our Redeemer. And I read... Romans chapter 15 because I've been thinking about the God of hope you see so let's just read a few verses from Romans chapter 15 and you know this is a very practical a very practical passage we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. That's for our neighbor's good. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That ye may be with one mind and one mouth 
glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord all ye Gentiles and laud him all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. won't read any more except going on away down to the bottom. Right, verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have in Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace is with you all. Amen. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. You know, if we followed everything in this chapter, we would do very well. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of them that are weak and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves. It's so easy, isn't it? To do things for others as long as it doesn't put us out too much. We please ourselves to a, to a large extent. But he says, help those who are weak in faith and knowledge. Now I don't know whether we would regard ourselves ever as being strong. But Paul could say it. We then that are strong. But we that have been had the privilege of being taught to have some knowledge of the scriptures, then Paul says we should help those who are weak in the faith. And also weak in other ways as well. Actually, it says through weakness of mind. Don't have the same abilities as perhaps you have. We're supposed to help them. Paul is showing that we may become careless for the, the others around us and even resent doing things. Paul said, To the weak I am become weak, that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He put himself out for other people. We ought not, it says, to please ourselves. Rather, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good. 
to edification. True love, Corinthians says, bears all things. And you know, when we help people, we should do it with a cheerful heart and not grudgingly. And he says in verse 3, the, the extreme example and the, ex, the, the supreme example is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, what did he say? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Oh, it's so easy, I know, to become enthusiastic about something and never get it finished. But Jesus said his meat was to do the will of his Father, him that sent me, and to finish his work. And when in, in John 17 he says, I have finished that. I've done what you've asked me to do. God had sent him specifically, and Jesus could say that he had fulfilled what God had sent him to do. Psalm 69, speaking prophetically of Jesus, it says, They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Jesus was up against it all the time. People were watching him, trying to catch him out, accusing him of blasphemy. He says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Then Paul goes on to, to show us why the Old Testament and why the scriptures were written. He says, therefore our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. This hope again that we're talking about. He says, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures. We all need patience. We all need patience. There's a little poem that says, of course, always in a woman but never in a man. Or some people say never in a woman but always in a man. Uh, patience. Well, we all need patience. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3, he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our Father. He was able to write to these Thessalonians, Paul, and he said, I remember your work, your faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. They had patience in hoping and waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.36 For ye have need of patience, he says. The writer says, they have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, he might receive the promise. Oh, he says, have patience. Wait for the coming of the Lord. Look forward to it with patience. Hebrews 12.1 Wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, they had told, shown in, in chapter 11 all the witnesses that we have of the glory and, uh, and faith of these men of old. And he says, you're surrounded by all these. Look at all the, you can look back and see all these men. A great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience. With patience, the race that is set before us. We have a race to, to, to in which we are running 
hoping for the prize, looking for the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he says, have patience. Have patience. And James says, knowing this, the trying of our faith worketh patience. We all need to be patient. So often in the Psalms we're told to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon Him. Not rushing ahead. So easy to, to try and rush ahead of what God wants us to do. We have to have that patience. And it says that through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures you might have hope. What is the comfort of the scriptures? I remember a friend of ours, he was involved in uh, Uganda. I've told you about it before. His Kefis Sampangi was his name. And he, he, he ran orphanages and, and that type of thing in Uganda just around the time of Idi Amin. And Idi Amin uh, tried to kill him a couple of times. But when these women, when their husbands had been brutally murdered, these children and some of the women, they went into a complete state of, state of shock. And a lot of the witch doctors and some of those were women had been converted. And they would normally, these people, have... Uh, even after they were Christians, were still inclined to go back to the witch doctors. But these witch doctors had been converted, so there weren't any for them to go. And they were presented to Kepha. And he says, well, what are we going to do? What's, they said, you've converted. That's the way they spoke. You've converted all the witch doctors. You're going to have to do something with these people. And they discovered that by reading the scriptures, just by sitting and reading scriptures to these dear souls, they receive comfort. You see, the whole of Scripture is really a comfort. Comfort there doesn't necessarily only mean comfortable. It means exhortation. It, it, it means uh, consolation. The Scriptures give us comfort and they give us consolation. And this chap writing in this Bible says, the act of calling towards encouragement exhortation and the entire scripture is actually an exhortation an admonition and encouragement all scripture is given to us for our encouragement for our benefit that's why we have the scriptures Jesus Christ when he was presented in the temple he said Old Simeon said he was going to be a consolation to Israel. A comfort to Israel. And we have all the scriptures. Backwards and forwards. And they're there for our comfort. For our exhortation. For our consolation. If we are taking the scriptures. We, it's, we are all sinners. And the scriptures. The scriptures give us a message of hope, a message of consolation, a message of comfort. Because we can have that in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, be ye like-minded, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, 
you might have hope. And then he prays a prayer. Now in Paul's epistles, he quite often comes with a prayer. He has dozens of little prayers scattered throughout his epistles. And here's one, he says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. The God of consolation. The God of comfort. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as the comforter. The comforter. The Holy Spirit, Spirit indwells you and me as believers. And Paul says, therefore, comfort one another. Comfort one another. We have the comforter indwelling us. And the result is in verse 6. That ye may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we comfort one another? Because we have the God of comfort indwelling us. The Holy Spirit is the God of comfort. So therefore we are ideally suited to comforting one another. Why can we have patience with each other? Because God is here called the God of patience. And we are truly following and possessed by the God of patience and the God of comfort. Then it should not be difficult for us to comfort one another. And it should not be difficult for us to have patience with one another. And the result, as I say in verse 6, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end result. The end result is that we might glorify God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, as I said, further on down that chapter, he has difficulties. He has to go back up to Judea. And he can see that there are going to be problems. And he seeks the prayers of the brethren. Verse 30. I beseech you brethren for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And for the love of the spirit that ye strive together with me. In your prayers to God for me. I said I want you to pray for me. I'm going to go up. And the, the, there are unbelieving Jews up there in Judea and I know they're going to cause terrible trouble he could foresee the difficulties in Judea and so in verse 33 he reminds them what does he say the God of peace the God of peace so we have we have different names for God in this chapter he finishes with the the God of peace the God of peace. I was struck when I was looking at this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. I want to read a passage from that. Colossians 1 and verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Paul was constantly praying for others. 
But here in Romans, he was asking them to pray for him. Since today we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There was a progression God, Paul wanted to see in these people. He said, I want you to walk be filled with the understanding of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing that you're fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all might according to his glorious power listen unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness you know there's a friend of mine and he used to go on fasts and you didn't have to ask was he on a fast because he looked so miserable he looked oh, he, you know and then he'd usually tell you in any case but it says here with all patience and long suffering with joyfulness joyfulness let's be joyful Christians giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We're inheritors. Partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We are living in the kingdom of light. Because then he goes on. We have been delivered from the power of darkness. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And that's why we are partakers of inheritance of the saints in light. His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. What is God like? What is God like? Who is the image of the invisible God? What is God like? That's what we're saying. Who is the God of the Hebrews? Jesus Christ is the image of God. When we look at Jesus Christ, it says, he is the image of the invisible God. What does God look like? Look at what Jesus is like. He reflects the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's what Jesus is like and that's what God is like. He is before all things and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus Christ has preeminence. Just as God has. He's the image of God. You see a little kid walking. You see little kids walking down the street sometimes. The father's walking like this. The little kid's walking behind. He's the image of his father. Jesus is the image of God. All these things which apply to Jesus apply to God. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And this is the bit. 
He's the God of peace. That's what it said. May the God of peace be with you all. And having made peace, how did Jesus make peace? Through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That amazing. We're going to be presented holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. What a wonderful Savior we have. We have been brought nigh, not through anything we've done, but by the blood of his cross. By the blood. It's no wonder Paul could say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this one passage, we have the God of hope. We have the God of patience. We have the God of comfort. And we have the God of peace. That's who our God is. And they are all in Christ Jesus. And we can, in faith, apply all those virtues to ourselves because we are indwelt by this God of hope we are indwelt by this God of patience we are indwelt by this God of comfort and we are indwelt by the God of peace Jesus reflected the image of his father do we in any way reflect the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in our daily lives. It's a challenge isn't it? 